Please turn with me then to 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. This is our anchor text uh, for this morning. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now a church is an imperfect gathering of God's people. There are lots of pictures of what a church is in the scriptures, aren't there? A, a body and a, a, a flock, a, an army, a household, a body and so on. But always, always uh, before we reach heaven, it's imperfect. And uh, of all churches in, in the scriptures, probably the church at Corinth, they knew and Paul had to remind them that they were imperfect. And so Something has happened here in, in the church in Corinth, a certain person, there's been difficulties, uh, things have been said and done, accusations have been made, whatever it is, we won't go into details, but offenses have been given and taken and so on. And here in this imperfect church, Paul is writing to them and he's very sad. Can you see that in, in, in we read it in verse four, he's, he talks about his sadness and his anguish about the, the situation that had arisen. And he doesn't want to write to them to make that, that, that to sorrow even greater, but he wants to deal with it. And in verse 6, he says, look, you, you've disciplined this brother. And sometimes in church life, things go so astray that sometimes we have to take exercise church discipline. Uh, somebody has been uh, dealt with by the elders and uh, not... Uh, allowed to come to communion for some time, for, for some reason. Maybe that's what's happened. Something's happened here, and that has happened. Verse 6 has been disciplined, and Paul is saying, it's enough, what you've done is enough. And in verse 7, he says, forgiveness is needed. It's always needed. Reconciliation, he says in verse 8, um, is needed as well. But Paul knew these things. He knew something of what was happening in the church, although he was not there at the time. Of course, the people there knew something was not right. It's a sad thing, isn't it, in church life when things are not right. And um, there are difficulties like this. Uh, so Paul knew it. The church knew it. Those involved, the individuals knew it. But somebody else knew it. Somebody else knew it. And that someone knows the imperfections of every church and every Christian because he watches them and watches for them all the time. He's in this verse. Lest Satan should take advantage of this situation. Our study last time was about temptation. Today we're going to think about the tempter and temptation. This was really personal, really direct, really on, on the button for the church in Corinth. But the Holy Spirit has preserved this letter and what Paul writes so that you and I might learn from it. We've said, haven't we, we are sinners by nature. We don't need, we don't, because of the fall, it's almost as if we don't need temptation. Our own desires are enough. What's inside us is enough. James 1 verse 14 says that we're led astray 
by our own desires. But we said last time, didn't we, that temptation is like my mum back in the 50s and 60s putting those fire lighters in the fire uh, and they make the fire grow hotter, quicker. They accelerate it. And temptation, that's what temptation is. The theology of temptation is such that temptation causes sin to come faster, grow bigger and accelerate and spread. And we said my mum was an expert. She was an expert getting the fire going. And Satan is an expert in temptation. And Paul says here, we better not be ignorant of his devices. What he's saying by implication is this, not to know what we're going to think about this morning, not to learn from what we're going to think about this morning, not to put into practice what we're going to think about this morning is highly dangerous in our Christian lives because Satan will have the advantage. So Paul is telling us three things here, three things in this verse about the tempter. He is telling us, first of all, who he is. He's telling us, secondly, how he works. And he's telling us, thirdly, what is his aim? Three things which we need to learn this morning. First of all, the tempter, who he is. Lest Satan. Now, Paul writes in Greek. And uh, it's translated for us. The Greek is a complex language. And uh, we have different translations into English because you can't sometimes directly translate things. And there's lots of debates, isn't there, about uh, what's the best version and so on. We've got the New King James Version in front of us. But if we had the Greek in front of us, something would stand out. It stood out to the Corinthian church because when this letter was read out to the Corinthian church, the person reading it out would be reading it out in the Greek and the people would be listening to it. And all of a sudden, in verse 11, he would say, lest Satan, and the word Satan is not a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word. It's a Hebrew word. And it's a device really almost for Paul to sort of stop everybody and make them think. What he's doing is telling us more than just a name. We could do the name thing, couldn't we? We could say, who's the tempter? Oh, it's Satan. But this name tells us who he is. And Paul writes his name in this way. We're going to think of some other names in a minute. He could have used the other names. Why is he using this name? He's using this name because this name means something. Now keep a finger in 2 Corinthians and uh, either come with me to Zechariah or decide, no, that's too difficult. I'll just listen. Uh, so in Zechariah, I'm going to read some verses from Zechariah 3 and verses 1 to 5. And here, of course, uh, the word Satan will come. And it's in that original language of the Old Testament. So either follow through with me or just listen. Uh, we, we remember Zechariah uh, because the, the name Zechariah means Jehovah 
remembers. We did a whole series through the book of Zechariah, and what we saw was that there were a number of visions in the beginning chapters of Zechariah which all point forwards from the Old Testament to the New and beyond to even to heaven to come. And here is such a vision. So this is a vision which uh, Zechariah has given. Listen to what it says. And see Satan here. And see that it's not just his name, but is who he is, what he's doing. Then he, the angel, showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now, we won't go into all the detail of the vision, but I think you can see enough, can't you, that uh, this, this, is, this, is, this is in the tabernacle, this is in the temple, this is the Old Testament, isn't it? A picture of the high priest. And the high priest comes into the into the Holy of Holies, and the, the high priest is there, a standing, and there's one there, and he's Satan, and he's opposing him. He's opposing him. And for the readers in Corinth, when they, when they heard that, that name, that name Satan, that, then it takes them back to the to the, to the vision of Zechariah. Uh, it takes us back there to see what Satan is, who he is. He is the opposer. He is directly opposed to the high priest, to the angel who is here. He is directly opposed to everything that is going on here in the temple. Before the altar. What does all this speak of? Well, those Old Testament pictures speak, don't they, of all the things concerning our salvation. The, the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice of the Lamb, atonement, cleansing, propitiation, justification, the plucking of a brand from the burning. What a picture that is of salvation. Someone being taken from as it were, almost the jaws of hell and being saved. And this is a wonderful picture of so many things here which tell us about our salvation in picture form. And there is Satan, and he is standing there. He's not sitting sort of cross-legged, having a cup of coffee. He is standing there, opposing it all. And that is, that is who Satan is. So Paul writes to the church in Philippi, doesn't he? And he says to Christians, says to you and me, work out your own salvation. He doesn't mean you can work out how to be saved. What he's saying there is the whole thing of your salvation, 
Everything about it, everything about your daily life as a saved person, you've got to work it out with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And what Satan is doing is while you are working it out and God is working it in, there is one who is standing there and he is opposing everything. Now, why is the Christian life hard? Why is it difficult? Well, here's one, one, one reason. That every move you make, everything you do in working out your salvation, everything that God is doing is working in your salvation, is opposed by this one, Satan. Lest Satan, he says. Now, we, we could now get diverted. We, we could go off on a diversion uh, and we could say, well, uh, where did he come from? He's a fallen angel. How did he fall? When did that happen? There's a whole, there's a whole uh, lot of questions there. But we're, going to, we, we're just going to put that to one side because we have this one fact, this one fact that Paul, writing to this imperfect church in Corinth, with its present difficulties and its troubles, what he's saying is, there's Satan in this, he is here, and if we don't watch it, and if you are not careful in working out this aspect of your salvation, allowing God to work in the church and in you, Satan is so close, so opposed, he's going to gain the advantage. So he's a real threat. And if you don't think Satan is a real threat, he's beginning to win. There's lots of other names and titles, isn't there, for this one, Satan. What is, what is the title that he's given in the New Testament, in the Greek? Well, it's the devil, isn't it? Next week, uh, God willing, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, so we won't go there now. But in Matthew chapter 4, um, the Lord Jesus is taken into the wilderness. We're going to see that. And hey, who's here? It is the devil. Right at the beginning of the Lord's ministry on earth. Right at the beginning of all that he will do for you and me to save us. The devil is there. So what's the Greek word used for devil? It is diabolos. We get the word diabolical from it. We shouldn't use that word of, you know, just ordinary everyday things, but things that are just awful, just fearful. We say, don't we, that's diabolical. That's the picture of, of the devil. That is the picture of Satan. He is diabolical. He is diametrically opposed to the Lord Jesus and to you and to me. And we're going to learn next week, he's there. He's there when the Lord Jesus is working out your salvation right at the beginning. Just as he was there in that vision of Zechariah because he's always there opposing directly all that is good.
So there's a second word that's often used. Um, we can perhaps turn this one up. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Or again, you could just listen in 1 Peter chapter uh, 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary. Uh, and when I tell you the Greek word begins with A-N-T-I, anti, you'll say, well, that's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Opposition. Diabolical opposition. And he's anti-dikos. And that word dikos is everything that's just and right. He is acting against everything that is just and right. Now, in UK law, we have what is called the adversarial system. So you will have a defendant in the dock, and uh, you ought to be talking about this, not me. You will have a barrister here who's a prosecuting barrister. And you will have here a defending barrister. And the adversarial system means that they are opposed to one another, bringing the case so that then the jury can decide the truth. adversary. Here is Christ and all that is just and true and right and your salvation and here is the adversary, the devil. So in all these pictures we see, don't we, that he is opposed to you and opposed to everything that is concerning your salvation. Uh, and there's one more which we could just mention, Revelation 12, in Revelation 12 and verses 9 and 10. So here we are at the end of the, uh, of, the, of the age. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. That's interesting, isn't it? That uh, John is using here the Greek term and the Old Testament term. He's putting them together and he says he deceives the whole world. He's cast into the earth and his angels cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ have overcome the accuser of our brethren. And here he is at work, you see. This is who he is. He is constantly opposing, diabolically uh, opposing an, uh, an adversary, accusing the brethren. And we need to grasp this. This is why Paul is writing here, and he is saying to the church in Corinth, lest Satan, he is not a joke. He is not a figment of the imagination. He is not some uh, figure where we see people sort of going around with a sort of a blow-up fork and pointy ears and so on. This is the real devil, the one who is against us, who is Satan himself, who is your adversary and your opposer, and he is working tirelessly to oppose you and all things which are concerning your salvation. Temptation is the key field of his operation.
So that's who he is. Now, secondly, Paul tells us how he works. He tells us how he works. How does he work out this relentless opposition and accusation? In the Old Testament, against Jesus in the New Testament, against your salvation and my salvation, how does he do it? Well, Paul says here, we are not ignorant of his devices, of his devices. And the word that's being used here, the Greek word for devices, is a word which means thoughts. Or we would say today something like this, things that he's thought through. Strategy, thought through things. In other words, Satan does not use haphazard and random and unprepared methods to tempt you. You know in Ephesians 6, in Ephesians 6 we have the whole armour of God, don't we? And Paul says that we need to put on the whole armour of God that we might stand the wiles of the devil. And I didn't know the Greek word for that. I looked it up and I was just amazed. I thought, well, this is incredible because the word in the Greek is methodia. Take the I and the A off. What have you got? Method. The methods, the wiles, the methods of the devil. These words are telling us, Paul is telling the Corinthian church here, we are not ignorant. We're not to be ignorant of his devices that Satan has methods and he has thought through strategies. He is not haphazard. He is not random. We'll learn that again next week when we come to the Lord Jesus being tempted and we'll see quite shockingly the devil's thought this through. Now, when you're tempted and when I'm tempted, we've got to think about this. The devil has thought through, Satan has thought through how he's going to tempt you. The term adversary in 1 Peter 5, our adversary, the devil, it, it is a legal term. And when Paul lived, of course, he was living in that sort of Greco-Roman world where the Greek culture and the Roman culture was coming together. And with it came legal processes. So in the past, we can go back into the Old Testament, can't we? And we can see some of the horrible, awful, heathen, barbarian practices of justice. Summary justice. Cut their heads off. No trial, no defense, nothing. But we, we come to this time when Paul was uh, in, uh, on, the, on the earth and, and, and in um, the Greek and Roman world, and there were more legal processes. Wasn't, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he was arrested, um, they were going to, the mob were going to take him, weren't they, and literally pull him apart. And he was rescued by that centurion. And uh, 
He, he, Paul said, look, I'm a Roman. And being a Roman meant that you had Roman justice. You had the ability to stand and uh, defend yourself. And of course, we remember, don't we, how he was stood before Felix and Agrippa, and how these men, great men that they were, they had their power to complete, to just, just finish Paul off. But they said, didn't they? You can speak for yourself. You can defend yourself. There was an element of justice about it. He had the right to appear before Caesar. And he appealed to Caesar, didn't he? And today that things have developed, haven't they, so much more? Lawyers, barristers are trained for years, many years in, in the law so that they can be prosecuting barristers and, and defending barristers. They have to think through. that the, the lawyer doesn't get up in the morning, have his breakfast and turn up and say, right, who's, on, who's in court today? He's researched and he's talked to the client and he's thought about it and he's prepared his method and his strategy and how he's going to um, prosecute. And the, the, the barrister who's defending, he's spent hours and hours and hours uh, talking and, and, and thinking and preparing so he can defend the client and so on. And Satan is our adversary who has thought through the method and the strategy that he's going to use. The words that Paul uses, he says we're not ignorant of his devices, his thought through strategies. He's our adversary. He has been like a lawyer preparing for this. So we see, we see Satan as we go through. If you do a study and see him in action, you'll see him at times he's standing. Sometimes he's roaring like a, like a lion. Sometimes he's transforming himself into an angel of light. He comes to the Lord Jesus. He takes the Lord Jesus. He opposes. He accuses. He questions. He suggests. He did it right at the beginning. Has God said? You see, he thought this through. How would he get through to Adam and Eve? How would he cause them in the bliss and the wonder of Eden to sin? It wouldn't be some sort of casual thing. He would have to think it through. And he thought through how he's going to tempt you and me. He has a method. He has wiles. He has ways. We have to note them so that we are, like Paul says, not ignorant, not unknowing, unrealizing of what he is and how he does things. So what's the application? Really, we're going to think of applications in a minute, but um, surely we ought to think through very carefully how we're, going to, how we're going to defend ourselves, how we're going to come to the Lord and ask him to help us, how we're going to put on this armor. How, how we, we need to resist him, and we aren't going to resist him in a haphazard way. We're not going to resist him without thinking about it. We're not even going to be able to flee from him without thinking about it. So we mentioned this book last week, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. 
He was a Puritan writer in true Puritan style. All this, all this, all these remedies, all these things. What Paul is saying is here is we, we better be careful. You better be careful in Corinth because, you know, these troubles have come and things have happened. And yes, you've dealt with them and it's caused me some grief. And, and I'm sorry for the person I, and I'm sorry for you. And I don't want you to be sorry anymore. We, we, we need to restore joy and everything else. And if we don't do these things properly, if we don't think these things through properly, you, the church in Corinth, if we don't do these things properly, then Satan is going to come. He's the opposer. He's there. He's right there. And he's thinking through all the time how he's going to get advantage. Don't be ignorant. So just two quotes from this book. Brooks, he says, Satan is very envious of our condition, but we should enjoy the paradise out of which he is cast and out of which he shall be kept forever. So here we have this, this view of this, of this fallen angel, of the devil, of Satan, and he can never, ever know heaven. He can never know peace with God. He can never know his prayers answered. He can never know joy. He can never know all the things that you know. And he hates you. And he's envious of you. And we know, don't we, down through history and stories and even our own hearts that when people are envious when they're jealous well that's what satan is so he tells us this we've got to be watchful we've got to be careful he says watchful watchfulness is nothing else but the soul running up and down to and fro busy everywhere it's the heart busied and employed with diligent observation of what comes from within us and what comes from outside of us. Third thing, what is his aim? What is his aim? We've considered who he is. We've considered how he works. Now, what is his aim? And Paul tells us here in verse 11, he tells us, lest Satan should take advantage that he should take advantage of us. And that Greek word is a word which means above and over, the superior position. Now, if Andrew wants, needs to come and talk to us about courts and barristers and things, we need to get Vinan to tell us about this word. Because this is a tennis word, isn't it? You play tennis? What happens when the umpire says, advantage Van Redensburg? He's very close to winning, isn't he? One point. What happens if Van Redensburg is playing fielding and the unlikely thing happens? Advantage fielding. He is going to have to fight back. Because he's not in a winning position. He's in a losing position. So he'll resist and fight back. And that's what the, the, the picture that Paul is painting for us here. I don't know whether they played tennis in Corinth. 
but it's the word, it's the same word. The next point is the winner. That's what he's saying. Lest Satan. The next point is the winner. Takes advantage of us. Now, in the theology of temptation, we need to just remind ourselves of what it says, what the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 10 and verses 27 to 30. He says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. The devil cannot have you. If you are Christ's, you are Christ's forever. He has you in his hand. You might fall over in his hand. You might fall over many times, but you cannot fall out of his hand. And he gives us that double assurance that you cannot fall out of his hand because his hand is his father's hand and you cannot fall out of the hand of God. So what is Satan's aim? He can't have you. He can't have you back. You don't belong to him anymore. You belong to Jesus. But he wants to take advantage. He wants the next point to be his. You are in danger. Lest Satan takes advantage. He's in the advantage point, And the next point's the winner. So you're going to fall over. Your sanctification is going to be in tatters. Your witness is going to be wrecked. Your assurance is trashed. Your faith is weakened. That's what he wants to do because he can't have you, can't take you, can't bring you back into his kingdom. You're lost to him. But he is opposing you everything about your salvation he is your adversary he's your opposer and he has strategies and methods and ways of causing you to deny the lord jesus christ of of causing you to sin and causing you to to tumble over in your christian life and be really hurt it can happen to a christian and a week on Wednesday, when we consider this subject on a Wednesday night, Bob Clifford's this week, but the week after this, we're going to think about this, we're going to think about David, how he fell. David, a man after God's own heart. It can happen to a church. Think about the church in Sardis in Revelation 3. Satan wants to take advantage. Now, we need to just say some words of application here, don't we? Because um, Paul says, I don't want this situation to fall out in such a way that Satan takes advantage. He gets the upper hand in Corinth. And surely that is what the text is saying to us, isn't it, really? We don't want Satan to take the advantage. We've heard about him 
uh, and what he is like and how he works. And perhaps it's woken us up. It's woken me up preparing it and thinking about it. So how do we resist him? How do we do that? Because it's such a daunting thing, isn't it? Well, we said last time, didn't we, there are a number of things about studying polymology, which is the study of conflict. And we said seven things. You have to listen to the to the message from last time on the on the church website. Uh, and this time we're going to take some things uh, which are to help us, the things that we need to know, things that we need to know. Now, there are many, many things we need to know. It takes uh, Brooks, all of this book, to do that. If you read Christian in... In, uh, in Complete Armour by William Gurnall, another Puritan. It takes three volumes to do that. So we're just going to take seven very quick things. And if you want to note them down, you can do. We'll perhaps remind you of them. But uh, just these are simple things. But we need strategy. We need method. We need to be thinking things through. So the, here's the first thing we need to know. You need to know your enemy. Now, I've told you enough about your enemy this morning for us to be sort of brought up short, as it were. Now, we're not to underestimate the opposition. How many times in sport or in other ways in, in conflicts have the underestimating of the enemy? Uh, just recently, there's been the Cricket World Cup, uh, and India have won it, and I suppose they were always going to win it. But through the whole competition, who kept beating everybody? Afghanistan. Afghanistan? Cricket? Everybody underestimated them. And they got beaten. And if we underestimate the enemy, then we will get beaten. He is very powerful. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of darkness. He is the deceiver of the whole world. But we are not to overestimate him. That is the thing. We're not to overestimate him. Do you remember in Job, Job's terrible, awful trials? And that was because Satan was allowed by God to come to Job. But you remember that the Lord said to him, this far and no further. He is a limited foe. As much as Satan hates you, the Lord Jesus loves you. More so than you can ever know. And we saw, didn't we? You will not be tempted above that you are able. But he will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That is the grace of God. To help us in this. We're not to underestimate uh, uh, Satan. But we're not to overestimate him. We are to remind, be reminded that he is defeated. That when Jesus died on the cross. And he said his fit is finished. He led captivity captive. He defeated, the, he defeated Satan. He doesn't have the preeminence. In Colossians 1 verse 18. We're told that the Lord Jesus has the preeminence. He is higher. He always has the advantage. Though Satan comes to take advantage of us, like Paul said here, that's what's going to happen if we don't watch it. Church in Corinth. So know your enemy. We could develop all of these in a big way, but we'll just go through them very quickly. Know yourself. Secondly, know yourself. 
That's why we're saying, search me, O God. My actions try. And let my life appear as seen by your all-searching eye. To mine, make clear, make it clear to me. Lord, help me. Where are my weaknesses? It comes from Psalm 139, doesn't it? Where David prays, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, we need to know where our weak spots are. Tell them. We need to know where we're vulnerable. And if you don't think it through, you never think it through. He's thought it through. He knows. He knows how easily you turn that on. Or look at that. Or go there. Or do that. And he's waiting. He's got a method. He's ready. Now we're all different. And we might look at somebody and they tell us, this is how Satan gets me. And we say, well, that's bizarre. He's never got me like that. Ah, but now you tell that person how Satan gets you. And they'll say the same thing back to you. <laughs> we have to know ourselves. Know your Bible Doctrine. This is a cheat. It's two points in one. Know your Bible. Doctrine. You can know your Bible. We can all know our Bibles. We can know what it says. We can repeat verses. But do you know what it means? Do you know what it actually says in the light of what we're saying here? You need to know how it works. Your Bible tells you that Jesus Christ died upon a cross. But what difference does that make to you? It makes all the difference because when Satan opposes you, you tell him Christ has died, and when he died, all my sins were laid on him, and I do not bear them anymore. <clears throat> Yesterday at the men's conference, one of the standout moments, really, standout times was singing, It is well with my soul. 300 and so on men, 300 plus men, Singing that at full pelt. It was just amazing. My sin, all oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Last week we sang this. When Satan tempts me to despair and he tells me of the guilt within... Upward I look and see Jesus there, who made an end of all my sin. So I tell him Christ has died. You see, the Bible tells you Christ has died, but what difference does it make? How does it help you when Satan is opposing you? We have to know our Bible doctrine. And uh, uh, the preacher yesterday he said about society and culture, it's shoving us and pushing us in a direction. It's shouting at us and telling us stuff. And we have to do two things. He says we have to read and we have to hear. We have to read God's word and we have to hear the preaching of God's word. And at every occasion when the preaching of God's word is available to you, be there. Because what Satan is doing 
He's preparing like crazy to tempt you, and we must be preparing systematically and carefully and thoughtfully so that we know our Bibles and we know the truth. So, like Paul says to the church at Corinth, you're not ignorant of his devices. Number four, know your Saviour. Time's gone. Know your Saviour. Know him personally. Do you really know the Saviour? If you and I really knew him, then what Satan says is attractive wouldn't be attractive, would it? If Jesus was to me and to you what he ought to be, most precious, we wouldn't be messing about with all the junk and the rubbish that Satan opposes us with and presents on our plate. The Lord is my shepherd. Not the Lord is a shepherd, but is my shepherd. We only got to four. We'll just leave it there. We'll pick it up next time because time's really gone. We have to know these things so much, so much. The devil is studying and methoding and, that's a word, and, and preparing for, for his temptations of you. And we must be as much prepared as he is. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. More next week. Let's sing our last hymn together. This is a great hymn, and uh, really it's for the one verse uh, I've sort of chosen it. Um, now let my soul arise and tread the tempter down. My captain leads me forth to conquest and a crown. A feeble saint shall win the day, though death and hell obstruct the way. We are on the victory side. We have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are other things we need to know. And we'll think about them next Lord's Day when we're here in the other room. Let's sing together.
all things were created through him, the Lord Jesus, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Lord, we thank you that the Lord Jesus has the preeminence, not Satan, not him with all his wiles and all his schemes. We thank you that we have a victor who died upon the cross but is seated on a throne. And we pray, Lord God, that we might realize that we have that victory if we would claim it and if we would seek with all your strength to resist the devil so that he will flee from us, that we might live Christian lives that are worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ and we not taken advantage of. We pray that we might not be ignorant of his devices this morning and in the days that lie ahead. Please, we ask that Jesus may be glorified in our lives. Amen.